Press play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we don't worry about waves because we're not surfers or pageant queens. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Perhaps especially this episode? I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, we, we got a lot of craziness this week. You, you know, you guys all dealt with the election hysteria, uh, and, and we'll see how you dealt with it, because, you know, there were some uh, there was some reporting, and I use that word light, light, loosely, about how you should deal with the election hysteria. We'll get into we'll get into some of the responses to the election, and, and then we'll get into uh, the show name, the heteronormative edition. But first, I have to bring in my co-host. Joining me this trip from Dale's lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, speaking of heteronormativity, watched the UFC fight last night. It was uh, a lot of a lot of fun. Um, had the, had a bunch of friends over and. Uh, Really, a lot of exciting matches, even in the uh, even in the prelims. But uh, man, oh man, uh, things are crazy right now on Twitter. You've got uh, uh, all these uh, 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 shitcoin crypto ex- uh, casino exchanges, whatever you want to call them, all collapsing around people. Uh, uh, rumors of sex rings and uh, and uh, uh, everyone uh, everyone apparently was dating everyone in the amongst these three crypto companies that just failed and. Then we have uh, then we have uh, Trump making wild uh, wild statements uh, apparently and still still relevant somehow to the media and then Twitter's burning um, all around it. Uh, uh, Elon's been memeing Twitter into the ground and demanding people show up to work. Uh, um, Justin, can you believe it? Twitter employees having to go anyone, to work. How could anyone demand anyone go to work in the as, year 2022? As it's a Gundam put. Uh, he, he did. He did. He was doing a video on it, and he put. Uh, he did the the. Uh, he's a monster uh, clip from Game of Thrones. Like after they they uh, they uh, demanded people. If it, he basically said, if you can't show up to work, uh, resignation accepted. And people are seeing that as an own, and it's like, oh no, he wants people to come to work. He he is a monster because I think in our hearts, William, we all belong. We all subscribe to the subreddit anti work. So well, the Reddit, uh, uh, the the r slash Elon is turned against him too. So he's he's going to be <laughs> the most most hated man. Uh, he's he cannot he cannot uh, he cannot be who he is. And uh, and does, does he really want these people to go to work? Because it's like you just said with the crypto exchanges that folded. All they do is fuck each other when they go to work. It's just <laughs> like giant true, orgy apparently. parties. Yeah. Well, maybe it's they, better if they work from home. <laughs> I've been, I've been to, I've been to the Twitter office way back in the day, and yeah, there's tons. That's just like every other Silicon Valley. Lots of free food, lots of places to to lounge and not do work. So uh, maybe, <laughs> well, maybe I'm messed up in the head because I. I thought you were going to say lots of free food, lots of places to put the food. And oh, like, what? <laughs> that no. got weird. 
Well, look, uh, we're not going to talk about the crypto stuff. It's not one of our stories. But uh, the best commentary I've heard on it was from a midsider. And, and she said to me that what would people expect when all of these things are run by uh, pubescent collectivists? Yeah, and I think that's a great way of looking at it, because the interesting thing about crypto, William, is it's supposed to be this thing for the free market. It's supposed to be this objective uh, measure that nobody can mess with. Right. So we don't need a government right. because it can't be messed with yet. It's still being embraced by collectivists as sort of a way to free the proletariat. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's being there there the this is a perfect example of saying, just like with the the last one that blew up Celsius, person saying that they're not going to do what the what the uh, financial system does, and then do end up doing exactly that that thing again, right? And um, and over leveraging and and hiding risk and not being transparent, basically while preaching transparency and everything else, right? Um, it's uh, yeah, people people. In a way, it's awful. A lot of people are losing money, but in a way, it's this is what this is what this is what people have been saying that some of these firms are for a while, and it's it's hard that reality has to teach folks this lesson so many times. Get that drop. It's hard that reality has to teach folks this lesson so many times. That that could sum up almost the entire show, couldn't it? <laughs> I guess it could. Let's let's do it. Yeah, let's let's use that to transition into teaching that same lesson to a bunch of other people in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Does life really suck? Are we just complaining? I hope that this mic is on. Because I'm on the road here. I hope this is making some sense. I hope that you'll throw up your hands and sing it and tell all the haters that they should just shut up and As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including and perhaps most of all, affirmations. Are you stressed about the elections? Here are strategies for calming down from the New York Times. Or... Or the Seattle Times, because the funniest thing about this, William, is this was posted by the New York Times on Twitter and then almost immediately deleted. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. The thing that's crazy about this, William, is uh, these don't sound real. I think a Babylon Bee writer or editor replied and was like, I'm offering this author a job at the, the Babylon Bee because this doesn't sound real. This makes it sound like everyone is so juvenile and infantile. So I want to... I want to just read this because this is so fucking insane, William, that it has to be read. It has to be heard. Usually we just like sort of talk about things and we don't go into like exactly what it says. A hundred percent. I want to read all of this. This is woke or joke. This is peak woke or joke, which I thought we would never reach either. But this is it. We won't. This is peak woke or joke right now. I want you to remember that. This is like Elliot with the cell phone and rice story. Remember it? It. Yeah. yeah. Th you think this is peak woke or joke now? And maybe it is, but. Yes, this is one that you wouldn't know if it was real or not. Even for the first phrase, elections and anxiety often go hand in hand. For Since who? when, William? Yeah, for who? <laughs> <laughs> the terminally online? The, 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 the people sitting at the airport watching CNN headline news? Who? 
even dude, when I watch CNN headline news at the airport, I'm just kind of like, all right, like it doesn't like make my pulse go. You know what I mean? I'm in the airport. Like who has a pulse in the airport? Isn't the whole thing when you're at the airport, you don't have a pulse. You just sit there and wait and you just want to get, get it done with. So you can go back to having a pulse. Isn't that the whole flying experience or is that me? Yeah. But that, that's the next phrase. Even if you're not frantically refreshing the results every five minutes. First of all, if you're not frantically refreshing the results every five minutes, why are you having anxiety? And second of all, do you think maybe you should just stop refreshing? Isn't this article over already? Like, do we need to continue from here? Stop refreshing every five minutes. Uh, The American Psychological Association found that 68% of survey respondents said that the 2020 (laughs) election was a significant source of stress in their lives. Was the survey survey on Twitter? (laughs) Is this a (laughs) self-selection? I mean, was the survey among Trump supporters? Like, I don't know. If you find yourself among the worried and weary this election cycle, here are some evidence-based strategies that can help you cope. Evidence-based. Ready? Try five-finger breathing. William, do you breathe with your fingers or your lungs? I think I breathe I breathe from my diaphragm. That's what my music instructor always told me. <laughs> yeah, that helps you breathe, but the actual process takes place in the lungs, doesn't it? Uh, well, maybe you place your fingers in your lungs? I don't know. How, where are we supposed to place these five fingers? Well, I don't know. Let's ask Dr. Judson Brewer, Director of Research and Innovation at Brown University's Mindfulness Center. Brown University. He endorses, or she, I don't know. I'm not going to assume anyone's gender at this point. Endorses a meditation technique you can take anywhere. So, um, William, just to be clear, meditation and breathing are not the same thing, right? That is correct. Okay, I just want to be clear. Hold one fa- hand in front of your face and spread your fingers. William, isn't this the thing in elementary school that somebody told you to do this? Your hand's not bigger than your face, and then you put it in front of your face, and they smashed your hand in your face? Yeah. Am I, I misremembering my childhood? I think this is what this is. Slowly trace the outside of your hand with your other pointer finger, then turn it into a turkey. I'm just kidding about that part. When you trace up a finger, breathe in. When you trace down, breathe out. Do this as you move through each of your fingers and back again. William, (laughs) I get what they're going for, okay? I get what they're going for. But why do you need to trace your hand to do the old technique of in through your nose and out through your mouth? Like when I coach, right, especially running, if someone's having a hard time running or sorry, a hard time breathing after a run, is it going to be easier to say, relax in through your nose, out through your mouth, focus on the rhythm or say, put your hand in front of your face and trace the fingers. And when you go up, breathe in. And when you go down, breathe out. Isn't this overcomplicating the breathing process? I guess maybe, maybe it's evidence-based. We should ask Dr. Brewer uh, for the evidence. Uh, Evidence-based, did they study kindergartners? I don't know. The next one, count backward. The American Psychological Association recommends other simple grounding exercises that you can try whenever you find yourself on an election day. What? It's just like, oh, you know what, it's election day. I'm just going to stop and count backwards in the middle of Walmart. Like, what involves counting backward by three in your head, starting with a hundred? 
So we're practicing our subtraction tables? This literally just sounds like a kindergarten teacher wrote these. By centering your thoughts on a precise, specific task, you can distract your brain from focusing on negative thoughts. Okay, that's evidence-based right there, William, right? Precise, specific task, you can distract your brain from focusing on negative thoughts. That makes sense. Do you disagree? Makes perfect sense. Okay, so why don't we count reps instead of counting back from 100? Don't know. Isn't there any number of tasks you could do besides counting backwards? Couldn't this have been like, find something, a hobby you enjoy and do it? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sense of, is this person a real author or not? A real. Oh, well, it gets better. It gets better. Cool down literally. And then this, this is from a professor emeritus in psychology at the university of Washington, Marsha Linehan. She's credited. And I assume Marsha is a, a, Marsha, 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 right? So I'm, I'm assuming her gender is credited with popularizing an innovative, if shocking way to lower stress, take a deep breath and then plunge your bowl, your plunger bowl, take a deep breath and then plunge your face into a bowl or sink filled with ice water for 15 to 30 seconds. So give yourself a swirly. Yeah. Waterboard (laughs) yourself. This just sounds like bullies wrote this, doesn't it? This has to be an AI. (laughs) Right. This Danny Bloom has to be an AI writer. I'm looking at other New York Times articles. This is can't sleep. Try sticking your head in the freezer. No, that's something. Yes, that's 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 our article from November (laughs) first. I mean, uh, they say AI is going to attack us one day if we're 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 uh, drowning ourselves and freezing our heads. It sounds like AI is already attacking us, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is this is crazy. How about this one? I don't know who Jenny Tates is. It says she's an assistant clinical professor in psychiatry at the University of California, Los Angeles. Of course, wrote about the practice for the New York Times, remarking how how it could slow your heart rate and enable blood to flow more easily to your brain. Uh, is that what happens when I get a brain freeze? But this is the fucked up part. Are you ready for the fucked up part? All right. I love watching my clients try this over telehealth calls and seeing firsthand how quickly this shifts their perspective. She wrote. She's waterboarding them remotely. <laughs> and taking enjoyment from it. Isn't that the most Los Angeles thing you've ever heard? Yeah, yeah. It says, m- number four, move even a little. <laughs> Just move. <laughs> Just move, yeah. That'll work. We need research to tell us to move. This is evidence-based, Justin. <laughs> Even a walk around the block can offer some relief for an uneasy mind. Isn't this what people have been saying? Like people like me and Zuby saying about working out? Yeah. Just yeah. work out every day. <laughs> Maybe the problem's your lifestyle. Number five, in case you didn't know how they were treating you, number five is literally breathe like a baby. We've got to follow the science. <laughs> Focus on expanding your belly as you breathe like a baby would. What, like, <laughs> William, didn't you say you were literally taught that by your music teacher? Yeah. Breathe so it's the not diaphragm. just the baby yeah. who breathes like that. It's all human beings, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so why what are they world are we in? <laughs> why are they framing a breathe like a baby if all human beings do that? 
Oh. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. And then here's the last one, right? Here's the last one, which should be the first one. Know your doom scrolling limits. Instead of constantly monitoring the news, consider plotting out specific times when you will look for election updates, maybe during your morning commute or mid uh, mid afternoon. Who wrote this? Got to be okay. This is the best evidence for an AI, right? A mid yeah. a mid afternoon coffee break. That's terrible. You should never write that. It literally says a mid a mid afternoon coffee break. That's terrible writing. Take your break doesn't mean you don't care. Tate's wrote for the times. It means you're better equipped to engage with the news and to process your reaction in the moments you do set aside to check in. So a couple things here, William one. I think the concept of doom scrolling or hate watching or hate following I think those are incredible tells on someone's fucked up psychology. Yeah. That is not productive at all, and you're literally harming yourself. Second of all, isn't number six just backwards engineering the society we had before social media? (laughs) When you would read the newspaper in the morning and then watch the news when you came home from work, and then during the day you weren't worried about the news? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, wait, the hour news cycle was not a thing. Right. right. So all this is saying is, hey, this entire article is saying, hey, disconnect and take care of yourself. That's all this article is saying, right? But it's written in the most condescending way, isn't it? It's written in a way that it's treating everyone like a baby, literally. Am I am I wrong? Yeah, it's 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 like and and even each section is like TikTok sized and what i mean by that is it's like an appeal to authority give an example move on right it's not integrating it to anything either so it's treating you like it's it's what's treating you like a child and then just expecting you to wrote like like it gave the most ridiculous one first right the whole trace your finger with your hand thing yeah i I think what you just said i hadn't made that connection but i think that connection you just made is excellent the connection to tiktok to social media. And I think it's a difference between TikTok and Twitter, or maybe they're the same, right? Maybe Twitter is the same as TikTok. It's just Twitter is text form and TikTok's in audio and visual form. But it's the idea that you're given bits of information without context, and it sounds good, and it sounds correct. It's all very specious, but really all you're doing is dumbing everything down because you're dropping context by not making connections between everything. And that's what they're doing here. Yeah. But of course, that plays into the hands, William, of all the people talking about the elections and responding to the elections. And and for me, it's more of the more things change, everything stays the same. Now, b- before we even get into, you know, Donald Trump and what he said in the response to him, uh, I just want to say that, you know, I do say the more things change, the more they stay the same. But I, th- I want to say I do think it's notable what happened in Florida. You know, in a in a formerly battleground state, in a formerly purple state, the governor, Ron DeSantis, won by 20 percent and other Republican candidates mainly won by like 12 to 16 percent. And, you know, most of the state outside of like Orlando and Tallahassee and Broward County is is red. I mean, Miami 
has flipped to red. Miami was very pro DeSantis, pro Marco Rubio. So Miami has flipped red. Now, for the objectivist audience out there, yes, there are going to be certain problems that come along with a Republican state, a red state. But I've always said and I've always believed the argument should be between Republicans and Libertarians, not Democrats and Republicans. I think that's a, one of the major problems nowadays. The battle isn't about this. Uh, the battle isn't about, you know, just about how much government we should have. It's the battles about what should government do. When it's between Republicans and Democrats, it's a, it's a battle between what the government should do. And when it's a battle between Republicans and Libertarians, it would be a battle about how much government should there be. So, yes, I recognize that, you know, having a red state isn't a utopia. But given the current context of the world and given the, the California-Florida dichotomy that I love to point out and the, the way the two different states handled the pandemic... I think that it's a major victory for the culture that DeSantis did so well, fared so well, and that Republicans fared so well across the state because they largely have been promoting freedom and individual freedom over the past, you know, two and a half years because of the pandemic and the issues since. And I think that shows what people are looking for, at least here, at least here, which that's why I moved here, and I think it's the most important state in the country right now. That said, we have more evidence, William, of why Donald Trump is so bad. And I don't want to read his statement, but of course, what did he try to do immediately after DeSantis was so successful? He tried to hitch his wagon to him two ways. One, he tried to uh, belittle DeSantis's success saying, you know, the pandemic was easier for him because of the sunshine, right, where states in the Northeast had it harder because it was colder, which, William, doesn't that ignore the entire California issue? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess parts of California are colder. Right. But I mean, Southern California was some of the hardest hit and had some of the most draconian laws and draconian decrees. And they have as much sunshine, if not more than Florida, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I would think the humidity would make an airborne virus worse, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I guess in some in some cases it, it may, right? It would seem like the droplets would be easier to spread, right? I don't know. Uh, Ask don't Fauci. Know. What does Fauci say? I don't know. Well, he says to follow the science. We've got to follow the science. He said to put masks on and then take them back off. And then put right. Them back off. So... Uh, the point is, none of us know, especially Trump, know if the sunshine was that important or not, you know, the humidity, how it plays in or not. But that's just Trump trying to undermine. He also tried to undermine by saying Ron DeSantis essentially was no one before he came in. And what he's trying to do is essentially scare the Republican base back into supporting him because he's seeing down the line here that he's going to have to beat DeSantis for the presidential nomination. So he's trying to make it seem like nobody can exist without him. And William, isn't this just more evidence of Trump's extreme narcissism? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's I feel like uh, South Park kind of did this right, you know, with uh, with uh, with Mr. Uh, Garrison, Mr. Garrison's sort of comeback. Yeah. Maybe we're seeing that play out again. But yes, 
it's uh i think that i think that's the connection that i want to draw is is we're seeing trump at his worst is exactly this this navel gazing making things about himself yeah and, and not not doing what made what made trump work when he was working which is uh making fun and pointing out all the all the uh inanities on the uh on the other side yeah, because I was just listening to the Adam and Dr. Drew show, and Dr. Drew was talking about the the candidate in Arizona, the Senate candidate, Carrie Lake, and how she handled the media, and it was very much a Trump way, calling them fake news, making fun of CNN and Plus for failing, and that's what he enjoyed. Now, I hear that, and I cringe because it reminds me of Trump, but yeah, that's what people responded to. Now, William, as you're saying, people aren't liking seeing this side of him because especially people here in Florida. You know, I've had people here in Florida saying, I just want Trump to go away because they really support DeSantis because they saw what he did, right? They saw his policies. They've been living it every day and they see Trump acting in this narcissistic way and they just want him to go away. Yep. And likewise, you want to know the craziest thing? My dad, who was one of the biggest Trump supporters, like to the point that he got mad at me for not supporting Trump, right? Now, I, you know, I don't go around in my daily life and say that. I'll talk about it here on the show a little bit. And, you know, obviously with my dad, I'll, I'll talk about it if he asks me, right? But he would get mad at me for it, right? Now, William, isn't the reason you and I didn't support Trump, and I believe Daniel as well, because we saw this side of him from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. All right, this is destructive. Him destroying Ron DeSantis is a bad thing, to the point that even my dad sees it. And says he should go away. So I think it's sort of unfortunate that the right fell in love with Trump because they had to figure it out and they couldn't see it so plainly the way we saw it, which is kind of crazy to me. But I guess that's kind of the mid-sided, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And well, think of the entire election field was just just all cookie-cutter, boring... Um, nobodies, right? Unaccomplished nobodies on yeah. both sides of the, uh, of the aisle, right? And so that's that's sort of what we were facing back in well, what was it, twenty sixteen or whatever, when all these candidates were coming out, right? And Trump well, was William, just just came out like a wrecking ball and right. and smashed all, all the entire uh, safe, politically maneuvered uh, figureheads out of the way. So what you're saying is it's like you're in a bar in Detroit and like it's all fours and you're just used to seeing fours every day. And then like a six comes in and acts like she's a 10 and you're like, I want that girl. Yeah. And then you wake up four years later and you're like, wait, uh, I'm, I'm engaged to a, a six. I don't want yep. a six. And then you're like, how do I get out of this? <laughs> and then the new eight comes along after you've broken up with the six and the six starts shitting on the eight. And yeah. you're like, what's going on? <laughs> well, that's actually a perfect metaphor, William. I think that's I think it's a great point you make, and I want to add something to it. I want to add something to it. I think it really highlights the difference between Republicans and Democrats, and I think it shows the reason Biden won. And I think it's the reason things have been going they've been going for a long time, why things have been going more left. Because people on the left are collectivistic, they are loyal to the party, not the candidates. Whereas people on the right, while they're becoming more collectivistic and they have that tinge to them, they're still that, you know, American identity, the American sense of life inside of them. 
they will not vote for a candidate. They won't vote left. They will simply not vote for a candidate if it's not a good if he's not a good candidate or she's not a good candidate. Do you get what I'm saying? They yeah. came out in droves to vote for DeSantis because he's such a good candidate. But you put up, you know, a Bob Dole, you put up a Mitt Romney, you put up a John McCain. The people on the right won't vote for those people. But people on the left prove you put up a Joe Biden, they'll vote for a, a him. A literal and, corpse. Weekend at Bernie's. A literal corpse. Well, a literal corpse. Wasn't the Pennsylvania senator? Didn't he have a stroke and they still voted for him? Yeah. Yeah, he won. Handily. Right. Now, again, I, I feel like people are going to listen to this and be like, this is a right wing show. No, it's not a right wing show, right? It's it's a it's a pro freedom, pro individualism, pro individualism show. But I'm simply pointing out the trends here with the way these two sides act. And do you see anything wrong with what I'm saying about the trends? Do you disagree, William? No, I think you've got it right. I think that, that you're right that there, there's this collectivism is infected on in, in both sides, and this tribalism is definitely rampant on both sides. But you see that you see this played out in election results. Uh, the the candidate matters much more on the red side than the blue side. Exactly. Exactly. And the way we see this is look at the way they respond to Donald Trump, right? Because that was the other thing about Trump's statement that was absolutely uh, crazy was was the response on the left that the right didn't realize the mistake they made. All the right did by having Trump is give them give the left a reason to galvanize their base further, right? Because they could turn Trump into the embodiment of everything they said about the right, you know, being immoral and evil and all of these things. And they did it again here with this statement. So Donald Trump in his statement implied that last governor, uh, gubernatorial, I don't know the word, right? Gover- I think it's gubernatorial, right? Uh, so 2018, he implied that DeSantis was going to lose the vote is the governor every two years or every four years? I don't even know. Whatever. The last gubernatorial election in Florida, Trump implied that DeSantis was losing votes hand over fist in Broward County. And then he said that he sent the FBI down to investigate, and then the vote stealing stopped, and DeSantis won. Now... The left is saying that Trump just admitted that they'd stole the election for DeSantis, <laughs> what? which, well, here's the crazy thing, right? First of all, Trump was just saying he was stopping election theft, right? And they're yeah, yeah. saying that he was stealing it himself. But here's the problem, William. Now we have two, as Scott, uh, Scott Adams says, two movies. Both of them are wrong. They're complete fiction, but both of them are dangerous, You believe Trump, you have to keep Trump around. You believe the left. Couldn't you legitimately bring in the federal government to take DeSantis out of office? Because you could say he never should have legitimately been in office to begin with because that election was stolen. Yeah, this is this is definitely uh, all this talk of uh, election stealing and it being anti-democratic and voting being anti-democratic. These are all, like you said, what. Uh, two movies being played that are looking at the same facts, quote unquote, and just having completely different narratives around those facts. Yes. And it plays into William, why I do not vote. 
election stealing. Do I believe there's more cheating than there used to be? Probably. And, you know, my dad made a good argument. He said the reason there was more cheating in the last election was because there were more mail-in ballots because of the, the pandemic, which, okay, that that premise seems reasonable. I would need more evidence to prove that premise, but that seems like a reasonable premise, right, William? It's easier to, to cheat when there's more mail-in ballots. Yeah. Yep. Okay. But here's the thing. That's my problem. If we really wanted to, with the technology that's out there, we could make it really hard to cheat at elections. We could make it really hard, but we don't. So why am I going to participate in a system that is obviously beyond flawed, not just in the types of candidates that are out there, as we've already talked about, but also in the pure mechanisms that are used to make the elections happen. It doesn't make any sense. Now, people would say, well, if you feel so strongly about Ron DeSantis, why didn't you vote? I feel so strongly about Ron DeSantis, William, and I want you to check me on this logic that my my argument was, if he doesn't win, it doesn't matter anyway. We're so far gone because it's a majority of people that have to vote. Yeah. And yet, I, you know, I support him. I do. Right. I don't support him because I don't even see DeSantis as a Republican. I see him as someone who has to run as a Republican in order to get elected. Like I see him as the closest thing to a libertarian candidate in, uh, you know, in the mainstream. But it doesn't matter if I vote for him or not. I'm one person. So if a plurality, a majority of people don't vote for Ron DeSantis, that he loses the, the election, wouldn't that have shown how far gone we were how down bad we are as the kids say yeah that would it's it's more of a cultural barometer right right and 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 that's really what you're talking about here is 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 if the desantis desantis not winning in the fashion that he's won one in florida would just spell disaster for florida and probably the nation at large right and all of this just goes to william my overarching thought that i'm leaning more towards is, and we can go into this at a later date. I don't want to like go into this a lot right now because we have more stuff to talk about. But I am really, really, really getting away from the idea of a federal government. I've said on the show before, everything needs to be local, right? We're, focus on your what's around you, that we're too global with social media. We see everything and we see ourselves as part of a global conversation and that's damaging our psychologies, I'm really thinking it, it damages government as well, that you can't have far off rulers. It, it too obviously and too easily becomes Plato's philosopher kings. When you have people sitting in D.C., sitting afar on Mount Olympus, disconnected from the daily lives of the people that they're governing. It's, it's, it's far too platonic where you're disconnected from reality. You're not actually looking at what's going on. I'm really starting to think everything needs to be local. And we can talk about in future times, you know, and you all out there can reflect on, well, how does that look when you talk about things like interactions between the states and you talk about uh, foreign policy, right? There are legitimate concerns with national defense and things like that. But right now, William, and I'll give you a second to respond before we move on. Uh, right now, I'm starting to think the federal government 
And any sort of national federal government is going to do more harm than it's going to do good, necessarily. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the founders' concerns, right? They, <clears throat> they knew that the Articles of Confederation were not good enough, and that that was too weak of a form, and they were worried that making a stronger federal government would lead to kind of what we have now. But let's not fool ourselves. It's the bad philosophy, the bad ideas about government that make this uh, federal government so uh, so oppressive, right? And getting back to that, those conversations like you were talking about earlier, um, those conversations that could be had between Republicans and Libertarians on what the role of government should be, getting back, getting the culture back to that phase, I think, is is really the uh, the hope. Well, yeah, and, and what you're saying actually leads perfectly into the next thing I wanted to talk about because it goes to this idea of social media and global conversation. And really, the only way you can ever have conversation, William, is individual. It's nice people want to listen to us. You know, all five people out there want to listen to us have these conversations. But really, this is just me and you talking. And that's the only yeah. way you can trade ideas is amongst, you know, two people. And then if you want to have a conversation where you sort of intertwine and thread everyone's conversations together, then you can. But with social media, we have people just sharing things that are untrue and demonstrate the lack of understanding, which only reinforces other people's lack of understanding. And when you're talking about philosophy and the founding fathers, John Cena's tweet on Veterans Day blew my mind as an example of people just not getting what this country was founded on, the philosophy this country was founded on. And look, I don't even want to talk about agreement or disagreement. Obviously, I think people who listen to the show know we agree with John Locke's concept of natural rights. Uh, I will ask you, William, because I don't want to speak for you. Do you agree with John Locke's concept of natural rights? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense to me. Right. It makes sense to me as well. But I don't think other people understand it. And now, look, I don't want to like act like John Cena, you know, the professional wrestler and actor is a bastion of intellect. I don't want to act like he's a philosopher. Right. But he generally has a pretty good perspective on things. But now we understand why he said the things he said about China. Remember when he had to apologize to China so the Suicide Squad could get released in China and why he did that and he didn't stand strong? Because of this tweet. And this tweet shows, William, what you're saying is it is philosophy and it does affect you whether you realize it or not. So this is what he said. Thank you to all those who have proudly served to uphold the construct of the inalienable rights. And he said, hashtag Veterans Day. Now, I get that he's trying to do an innocuous tweet to celebrate veterans. But holy shit. Why don't you tell me you don't understand natural rights without telling me you don't understand natural rights? The idea that inalienable rights are a construct By the word inalienable, it implies they're not a construct. They're inalienable because they can't be taken away from you because they're natural. They're part of your existence. But this shows, what does John Cena think of rights, William? He thinks that all rights are constructs. That he thinks all rights are given to us. Just Just like sex and gender. Right. So isn't it scary that somebody who's on the forefront of shaping the culture... And the forefront of enacting the culture, and I say that as, you know, he's an entertainer, right? 
misunderstands on this fundamental and basic of a level? It it just feels like word salad that he's putting out. Like, I, I don't know that, that I even give it as much credit as you do, other than it just is vapid, right? And and it connects back to the, like, he, he made a more intelligent statement uh, kissing China's ass than uh, than trying to praise veterans, right? And that, that just says enough to me about him and his character. Well, yeah, it's certainly word salad. It's certainly intended to just appease people, but... What I'm what I'm saying, William, is, and this is something I don't think people pay enough attention to, so we can move this sort of beyond John Cena. I think that it's sort of like you know, uh, what is it? Uh, a a drunk mind speaks a sober heart. What's the saying? I'm too straight edge for this saying. What's the saying, William? About what? the when you're the idea is when you're drunk. You speak what you actually mean. Oh, What's the saying? Uh, uh, I don't know. Drunken truths. I don't know. I don't know that. Yeah. There's a saying for that, but I'm far too straight edge for it. So <laughs> somebody know. out there who's more of an alcoholic, you can <laughs> share it with us. But, um, this is one of those where I think people's word choice belies, gives hints to betrays is the word I'm looking for betrays what they think without them realizing it. I don't think he realizes he thinks this. I don't think this is a conscious thought, but I think this is what he believes deep down. I think as you said, people have internalized social constructionism and you know, the idea that everything's relative and everything is subjective and they communicate it without realizing it or not because he knows deep in his heart, like he's internalized. I mean, Look, he's an adult male in his 40s, right? If not his 50s at this point. I think he's in his late 40s. But he has to know what the word construct means, right? And he has to know <laughs> what the word rights mean. You know what I mean? He has to understand that on an implicit level. Do you understand yeah. my argument? Yeah. Yeah. This goes back to the idea of people acting on autopilot. These are these are his first thoughts. These are his first thoughts. He hasn't examined them. He's not analyzing them the way we are to understand them. But of course, I think that goes to the whole thing about, you know, you said social constructionism and gender and everything. I think that goes perfectly into the the next sort of story that I want to talk about. It was shared by Midsider Lucid in the Discord, right? And it goes into this whole discussion of gender norms and, and, and what are people born with and what is socially constructed? Because here's the thing I want to say at the, the start, William. I do have sympathy and I, I do have some agreement with the social construction argument. And what I mean by that is like, there are certain things that are associated with gender, which don't need to be that people are, they think they have to believe but that doesn't define who everyone is. It's more complicated than people make it out to be. And this is an example. This article is an example of how people oversimplified, I think, by being surface level thinkers and going with their first thoughts. So this is uh, actress Emily Radajkowski or Kowski, however you want to say it. Right. I know I'm Polish. I should be able to pronounce Polish last names. I'm sorry. I can't says she bought her one-year-old son, a baby doll. By the way, the way this is written, William, says she bought one-year-old son. 
Doesn't it sound like she bought her one-year-old son? <laughs> yeah, she, uh, and then also a baby doll. It was both the same story. They were just right. It seems, this just other. seems like, well. This just seems like she's missing commas. She bought yeah. one-year-old son, comma a baby doll, comma and tea set <laughs> to balance out love for trucks. Right. <laughs> baby doll and tea set to balance out his love of trucks. Right. And then it says during Tuesday's episode of her podcast, High Low with M. Rada. First of all, William. Do we have to do news stories nowadays on everyone who says something on his or her podcast? Lordy Lou. I told you, I told you, I must have been last year. It couldn't have been that long ago. How it was, uh, we went from cover, writing news stories on tweets to now we're writing news stories based on podcasts. Like, yeah. Someone, and, and it's not even, it's not even an interview, right? It was just like they were shouting into the wind, right? Probably with less listeners than we have. And then all of a sudden, someone will write a news story about it. And it's like, what yeah. is going on? Yeah. What is going on? Julia Fox, her guest, said, It's hard because you don't want to have them, the baby sons, end up like every single guy you've ever met. First of all, William, do you think every single guy they've ever met is exactly the same? Uh, yes, because I am a collectivist, and I don't see any individuality. I only see vagine or PP, and then make my judgments accordingly. Right, and that's what I was going to say is, I think this is proof that's easier to understand than the John Cena tweet about people betraying the premises they don't understand they hold. This is somebody betraying her collectivist viewpoint, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's crazy, uh, you know... Rotata, or however you want to say her name. That sounds like a Pokemon, doesn't it? It's like, I choose Rotata. <laughs> it says, it's crazy. Her son loves trucks. He gets so excited. He loves to play with anything with wheels. And she says, this morning I ordered him a baby doll and tea set because I'm like, we got to balance this out. But also, is this just what he likes naturally? Now, I'm not a parent, William. But I'm assuming part of being a parent is you expose your kid to a bunch of different stimuli and see what your kid responds to. Am I wrong? I think you're right. That's how it works. You, you, kids have to discover their interests just like you do as an adult discover things you're interested in. Right. So if the kid likes the dump truck song on YouTube, isn't that what the kid likes? So isn't that natural? I don't know. I, we've had we've had these terrible psychological experiments done in the in the forties, fifties, and sixties, right, on kids, and you cannot force them out of their genetics, right? They people, right? Um, you know, uh, yes, humans are built empty of ideas, but they have preferences. These are things that are like well demonstrated, you like just individual made preferences. Objectivists mad. Yeah, well, that's the true thing, though. Like people have, like, right? I agree. Each we're not individual born has tabula rasa. Well, we're born free of ideas, but we're yes. not. But we're, we're but we our brain has content in it, right? Our just brain not has ideas. person personalities, right? Yeah, personalities our brain has personalities and then preferences, right? Like things that I may find they some certain things beautiful that you will not find beautiful. I, my right. favorite color was probably determined by my genetics and not by anything by any conscious choice of mine. Right. And theoretically, you could maybe not have seen your favorite color yet, because maybe there's a color you haven't seen that your brain would respond to better, theoretically. Yeah. theoretically. So that's yes. the job of the parent to expose to that, right? 
That's right. But then, right, so they're they're continuing this, and, and Fox, her co-host, says, or guest, says, uh, he loves pushing around a stroller with a doll, that her son is also crazy about trucks, and but he also loves pushing around a stroller with a little doll in it. So, maybe it's not the doll, maybe it's the thing having wheels. Maybe he likes things moving with wheels. Yeah. And she added that she bought him a pink truck, and... Rattata added that Sly also has a pink convertible. And and she says, are those the little ways that you can start to help with making sure that conditioning doesn't happen and also spending a lot of time around women? So, William, this is exactly what I mean. Why are we I trying mean? to feminize these poor boys? They need to wrestle around and, and smash trucks against each other. This is what boys do. <sighs> But am that's I, exactly I, what I'm talking about. Am I With taking the, a heteronormative approach? But let's let's take the heteronormative approach here. I think I am. We are taking a heteronormative approach, but that's the point we're trying to get to here. But I want to get to that, William, by exposing something they're doing. I agree that things like pink being associated with girls is a social construct. Girls don't have to like pink. Boys can like pink. Aren't there boys that like wearing pink polos? Wasn't that a thing when we were growing up? Yeah, that boys started to wear pink, pink polos. Yeah, yeah. Which it works for some guys. Some guys like it. That's fine, right? I have a, a newfound glory tank top that's sort of on that salmon level. It unfortunately has a stain on it, so I can't wear it anymore. But it, it it's fine. I don't see it as a gendered shirt. But the fact that these parents. See, these two women see simply making a truck pink as battling the patriarchy? Isn't that them buying into the bullshit they say they're fighting against? Yeah. It's 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 weird, isn't it? Like it's it makes you question them as a parent. Like it makes me question them as a human being, honestly. Yeah. Like the it's the it's completely inverted what you're supposed to be doing as a parent, right? Helping yes. your kid discover who they are and build a character, right? Because they because let's be honest, that's that's what growing up is is about building your own character, and yeah, this is this seems no concern for that, right? They're they're just concerned about fighting the patriarchy. They had right. kids to fight the patriarchy. Can you right? Can you wrap your brain around that? I can. Unfortunately, I can, and I think this is what makes me a, a good podcast host and a good teacher and, and, and is the sort of the value I provide to other people that I can understand where they're coming from. I don't agree with it. I don't empathize with it. I don't sympathize with it. I think it's disgusting, and I think it's arguably insane, but I get where they're coming from, and it has to do with Rattata's next statements and then a post I saw on Instagram. So she explained that it made her so sad to think of somebody trying to toughen them up. And this is what you're talking about, William. She thinks it's so sad that people are trying to toughen them up, but she's doing the inverse, isn't she? But she doesn't see that as so sad. And then yeah. she says, yeah, she's and that's where the them, she's training them into into feminized men, which is right. to say a, that not letting them explore their nature, right? I mean, this it's a small step, but it, you can see where this is going. Right. Well, and that's where we're doing the heteronormative approach, right? Because I'm going to take one step further after I establish this. And she says, that's where the patriarchy hurts men, because I feel like men are really these repressed individuals. My argument is that men are repressed individuals because over the past however long, and you could say history, right? When we talk about male disposability, 
women have not let men be men and society has not let men be men. And now we're just doubling down on it in another way when we're saying you can have a truck, but it has to be a pink truck and you have to hang out with women all day because we're not letting them do what they want. We're making them do what they are obligated to do to make us happy. Now, back in the day with male disposability, it was you had to do whatever it was to make the family happy and take care of the family. And it didn't matter how much pain you were in, which is just as bad. Right. That's a social construct that's just as bad. Right. And now it's you have to do it to fight the fight the patriarchy. So now in order to fight the harm that was being done to you, you have to do more harm to you. And what this is, William, is ignoring what is natural. What is in line with reality? Like you said, the personalities, the preferences people are born with. So I saw this insane thing on Instagram. It was a reply that somebody put. Right. It was like a graphic they made in reply to somebody's tweets. So the guy who tweeted the original tweet, is his name is Nick Adams. He says in uh, in parentheses, alpha male. William, do you have that drop? Never be a beta. Oh, yeah. Nick never Adams be seems a beta. Like the, Just never, ever do it. It is death. Right. He seems like that kind of guy, right? Anyone yeah, who puts yeah. alpha male in his uh, in his name like that's He seems like he would say that kind of thing. He, re- he, he replied, or he tweeted, sorry, he tweeted, if more members of Gen C had been brought to Hooters as children, I can guarantee we would have had a red wave last night. Now, that, like, that's all kinds of stupid, right, William? It's yeah. all kinds of stupid, right? As someone who been, has been to Hooters as a kid, it literally did nothing to me, right? It's like my dad said, we're on the beach all day in March during spring break. You think going to Hooters is going to change anything? Like, that's what we saw all the time. Yeah. But this is the reply that's even more insane. But LGBTQ people are the ones sexualizing children and indoctrinating them into our lifestyle? Question mark. William, this is where hit the drop about the heteronormative approach. But let's let's take the heteronormative approach here. You do not have to be indoctrinated into being straight. You do not have to be indoctrinated <laughs> into having a gender identity that aligns with your biological presentation. These are the norms. Now, I am using norms to describe what the general trend is and what the general state of the human existence is. I'm not saying it's normal as in if it's right or wrong. If you want to be gay... If you choose to be gay, I don't care. If you are born gay, I don't care. If you have gender dysphoria, we'll figure out how to deal with it. All of those things are quote unquote normal in the sense that they occur in reality. They can be chosen in reality or they can be something you're born with in reality. And those are quote unquote normal in that way. I am using normal as defined as what things actually are based upon what happens in a state of nature. And in a state of nature, there are more straight people than there are gay people. You know why, William? Because if there weren't, the human race would die out. Yep. So this idea that we have to indoctrinate them in order to become straight is insane. Is it not? Is this not insane? Yes, yes. This is this is the uh, tabula rousa in in reverse, right? Denying that humans yes. have any nature. It's denying the law of identity. It's that humans have no nature whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Humans have no nature whatsoever, and honestly, William, and no limits, and no limits. Right. right? They can be anything. I think they have to take that 
perspective in order for them to be legitimized in the way they want to be legitimized. Now, I would say, William, that in my statement, in my mini rant, I already legitimized them. I said, make the choices you want to make. And these things occur in nature as well. And we'll deal with them and you'll deal with them based upon the choice you make or them occurring in nature. To me, that's legitimized. But they want to step beyond that. They want to be seen as the same as being straight or the same as your gender identity being aligned with your biological presentation. They want to be seen as the same when they're not the same. It's like saying an apple and orange want to be seen the same when they're not the same. You want two things to be alike that are not alike. And it's worse than that because there are fewer of them and it's abnormal and they don't want other people to think they're abnormal or be disgusted by it. Now, do I think you should be disgusted by it? I personally don't because I think you shouldn't think about it, right? Like I don't think about guys having sex because that doesn't interest me. It's the same way I don't think about like tiddlywinks or ping pong. Like they're not things that interest me. You get what I'm saying? So I don't think about them. So it doesn't enter in my mind to be disgusted by them. But that's what they want. They want, they want, Justin, what they want, what they want is they want, they want to deny reality. They want to deny the law of identity and they want you to fake reality to make it, to make it, yes, uh, believable, right? Yes. So it's, it's, it's that shift. Whenever that shift happens, that's when you have to run cover right because it's it's not it's no longer that hey i'm gonna fake reality and 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 the consequences are coming gonna come down on me it's no 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 you're gonna fake reality for me which is way more destructive right and that what i was describing williams was was the way that looks right the effects it has on them of the faking of reality right it's giving them the false sense of self-esteem it's giving them the false affirmation right it's how Remember we discussed this, uh, I don't even remember how long ago was it. Was it last month, a couple weeks? The What happened to the the gay pride parade founder, right? Where yeah. originally he met pride in the, in the correct way. Hey, you know, I'm here. I'm going to be proud of it. Now they want, you know, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. Those are two different things. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, we talk about all the time, how this manifests in entertainment, right? About all the representation and everything. And actually, conveniently, William, I guess not conveniently because there's so many movies like this nowadays. Uh, I'm going to review a movie like that today. Want to get into it? Let's get into it. All right. Let's move on to The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. Put me into syndication Broadcast to a network station of people viewing their face As always, if you'd like to support the show, I said that wrong. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation, I'm going to take that one more time and just cut this part out. 
As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. As you heard during the Life on the Midside segment, one of the topics of conversation was sent to us by Midsider Lucid in the Discord. We love to hear from you. We love when you give your responses to the trailers we're going to talk about in Trailer Takedown. So you can do all of that by going to midside.com or midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link. And click on the uh, the join link that's in there. Look forward to talking to you. Look forward to you becoming more of a midsider. This week, William, I want to review the sequel to Black Panther, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Now, did you see the original Black Panther? I did not. It wasn't okay. something I was super interested in. I did see, I might have saw parts of it. Um, like on a, uh, on a, on a plane, but I didn't, it, it didn't really seem uh, that interesting to me. Well, you know, it, it is a, it is a Marvel movie, right? But I want to be clear that I think Black Panther is one of the better Marvel movies sort of in this newer stage we're having. Like it doesn't compare to an Iron Man. Yeah. But the first one was enjoyable. So I, I didn't like hate that I was going to see this movie. But I will be honest that the only reason I saw this movie is because my wife wanted to see it. Because one of the big things here is the actor who played Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, died. So it's very, I don't know, I don't even want to use the word interesting, but it's, I don't know, William, the fact that it's revealing, right? It shows the way this machine works that the actor dies and all they do is rewrite the script, but keep going forward because this movie was already planned. Isn't that sort of like a, a tragic statement on things? Or is that just me being weird? I don't know. It depends. I mean, it's hard because like the it, it depends on whether you see this as the continuation of the actor's legacy or the character's legacy, right? Yeah. Because let's say like, you know, you know, it's not that no one can play Superman because Christopher Reeves died, right? Yeah. But when it's a sequel to the movie, you get yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I do I do get what you're saying. It's tough because Marvel has done this whole thing where it's all the same, right? It's not like, oh, where there's, you know, different Batmans, right? Where you have Bale and then Affleck and you had Keaton, right? It, it's, it's Marvel. It's all a continuation of the same thing. And it's not the character. I want to be clear. They did... The mantle of Black Panther was passed on, but the character died. So it's not like they recast. And it's not like it's the Doctor either, which, William, by the way, did you see that? They're bringing back Doctor Who, but they're going back to David Tennant? But yeah, they're, they're, so, they're so desperate, uh, I guess, for, for, for ratings. I, I think they basically, they basically are in the tank. So, But is he playing the same number Doctor he did, or is he playing a new... I don't know. Like, I don't understand it. I don't know, and, and it's hard for me to care. So I don't know. I want to I watch it because I have a morbid curiosity, like how they're going to execute it. I want to be clear. I didn't watch anything after Capaldi. I, after, um, crap, I can't remember the writer's name, even though I really like him. It's Moffat. After Moffat left, I didn't watch anything. I, and I didn't care with the gender bending because obviously they were... Um, you know, they were just virtue signaling by gender bending with Jodie Foster. Nothing against the actress. I know nothing about her. I don't know if she's good or not. I have no idea if the episodes were good or not. I just had no interest in watching that. 
But now I'm kind of curious because they're bringing back Russell T. Davies. And there's, did you see there's already a controversy where apparently when he regenerates, every other regeneration has been wearing the clothes of the previous doctor. But yeah. Russell T. Davies had him regenerate in his costume because he didn't want David Tennant, a man, to be wearing women's clothing. And people are mad at him about that. Huh. Okay. Okay, so, I guess that's a weird thing to get mad over, but sure. Well, he was saying he didn't want to, like, make a show of, uh, like, cross-dressing and, yeah. you know, drag queens. Make, a, make he, it a joke, yeah, yeah. Right, he didn't want to make it a joke. And they're saying, well, he delegitimized it by, you know, trying to hide it and trying to say a guy has to dress in his own uh, clothing. I Actually, this is one of those where I have sympathy for the argument here. Like, if that's how it works, that's the mechanics, just have that be the mechanics. Like, if other people want to read in and say, oh, you know, that's making a joke of drag queens, then that's on them to uh, read into it. And also, you could write it in a way that makes fun of drag queens, but you could also write it in a totally normal way where he just like, why am I dressed like this? I didn't realize, oh, I guess I was a woman last time. Oh, you know what I mean? It's all an execution, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, when we're speaking of execution, how this is all done, you could very much turn Black Panther into just like a, you know, even with the name, right? Black Panther. Remember the Black Panther movement in this country, right? You could turn all of these into, you know, just black power movies, anti-white people. And there are unfortunate elements of these things. But like I said, the first Black Panther was one of the better Marvel movies. And I think there's something interesting going on in this one. Here's my one-sentence review on Letterboxd. In the short view, Wakanda Forever is a fine version of the A King Dies and His Kingdom is Plunged into Chaos narrative. In the long term, in the long view, it suffers under the weight of being a part of the MCU. And what I mean by that is, William, if you take this entire story, right? So they did the whole thing with the T'Challa. He died of a mysterious illness that he didn't tell anyone about in the same way that Chadwick Boseman did. And then the whole movie is his mother and his his sister, Shuri, dealing with the fallout of that. There are geopolitical fallouts, right? There are, you know, fallouts uh, within their personal lives, mourning-wise. And this is also coupled with the fallout of now that people know Vibranium exists, other nations want to... Um, steal their vibranium and you know they don't think Wakanda should hold on to their natural resource uh, there's a whole other plot of there was an undiscovered uh, an undiscovered community an undiscovered culture an undiscovered nation underwater that gets into a war with Wakanda about this because they also have vibranium that they know all the nations are going to go for but if I took that plot William and I did that whole story. The king dies. They have a natural resource that the rest of the world wants. The king is a superhero that protects his people. And now the women who are left behind have to deal with that. That's a really good story, is it not? What I just described to you, does that not sound interesting? Yeah, yeah. And it was. But the problem is the way it is executed is with this marvel pandering to social justice that just undermines it completely. So the Americans are made to look bad in the United Nations meeting because they are, you know, they're trying to get into Wakanda and there are secret 
military missions by unnamed nations trying to break into Wakanda. And, um, no, obviously that's shown as bad. I was going to, oh yeah, the secret unnamed missions are also, you know, the intelligence agencies are, uh, you know, trying to get intelligence on Wakanda and figure out how they can get some of the vibranium. And then, um, can you hit the spoiler drop? I, I can't say anything else without spoiling. There's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. Shuri becomes the new Black Panther. Okay. And I say this, William, because something has to be noted. They have done something over this last phase or cycle that I'm sure other people pointed out. So I'm not claiming I'm novel, but I need to point it out. They had a female version of Thor. They had a female version of Hawkeye, Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye series. They had a female version of Black Panther. And in this movie, they introduced Riri Williams, who is a female version of not just Iron Man, but Tony Stark. Literally, William, the only difference between Riri Williams and Tony Stark is that she was born and lived on the streets in Chicago. She literally is quick-witted and snarky and a genius-level IQ who makes things. And she literally stole Stark technology. There's a scene where the FBI is breaking into her, you know, secret warehouse or bunker or whatever. And they ask her, like, what if you're caught with Stark technology? And she throws away all her blueprints for her Iron Man suit and everything. So they've literally, William, in the MCU, made it so there are female versions. Oh, William, how did I not mention She-Hulk? Oh, yeah. Well, it's because it's so terrible you block it out of your memory. Right. But that's the problem. So it's Black that's Pan- why that's why Nerdrotic uh, YouTuber calls it the MCU, right? It's just it it just we're, we we rehashed all the stories, but because of the feminist uh, new wave feminist storytelling, um, you notice all these characters have to just be best, right? They can't have any flaws or yeah. learn anything from, especially from any men, and so right. they just have to just be good right they 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 have to be good and they cannot get any help from that right and now there are two sort of well three male characters in the movie that have an impact one uh, i will say they actually end up having the ruler of wakanda be a king because i don't understand this how you call the movie wakanda forever and then the black panther goes to live in haiti at the end but that makes no sense to me Anyway, um, and then they bring back Killmonger, played by Michael B. Jordan. And one of the things this movie did was really make me want to see the Creed movies more because the best scene in the movie is the Michael B. Jordan scene and reminded me how good Black Panther was. And that's why I liked the first one so much was Michael B. Jordan. Uh, But yeah, that's ultimately the problem with a movie like this, William, is look, it's a fine movie. Like, you're going to watch it, you, you'll have a good time, and you'll be like, okay, I saw that movie. But when you start thinking about the implications, and if you don't because you're only on first thoughts, you'll think it's a great movie. You'll think it's an amazing movie. But it's not. It's fine. It's middle of the road. It's a it's a bro rating right in the middle of the road. But it, it just it falls apart when you, you think of, I mean, just think of the character of Riri Williams. Ugh. William and I know the argument people are going to make is she is in the comics, but when was she created in the comics? She was created the way late, um, and it, part of this, like 
part of what Marvel's done is they've jumped so far forward in the comics. They went to the comics that didn't sell. And Ironheart is one of those comics that didn't sell. Yeah, I'm trying to see. Her first appearance was Invincible Iron Man Volume 3, Number 7. Let me see if it says what year that came out. May 2016. Release date. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Release date. Mar- no, sorry. I don't know how the cover date is different from the release date. I don't, oh, those are alternate covers. Sorry. Yeah. So, I, so basically 2016 is when this issue came out. Right. So, yeah, she's part of the comics, but six years ago. And William, I'm incredibly cynical. I want you to check me on this before we move on to the trailers here. Knowing that the MCU existed at that point. Am I wrong for thinking that they created characters in the comics in order to adapt them into the movies? Yes. The all comics from 2012 on were became just obsessed with this like uh they they just become um uh boards for uh springboards for movies. Right. Okay, so I asked if I was wrong, and you said yes. You meant no, I'm not wrong, that that is exactly no, what's wrong. going on. Yeah, that right. is exactly Cause, what's going on. Right, because the comic book writers, especially the Marvel writers, were like, oh, we have more cultural power than we've ever had before. Although, yeah. And there was a huge push to bring in other authors, because that was the other thing. Uh, they would have to pay these people, like Ethan Van Skyver and others, right, that actually created the characters and, and worked on the uh, on, on the uh, characters. So that's why they wanted to, as quickly as possible... Um, move on to some of these uh, other no-name characters because uh, the the business and residuals are much different. Yeah. And you're not going to convince me that Kevin Feige wasn't involved with the comics on that level as well, telling them all this and having that yeah. be involved with the way yeah. Disney runs its empire. They have to be involved with this and aware of this. Yeah, absolutely. They don't, they so, don't want to pay Ethan Van Skyver and people like that. Right. Right. Old white men. Yeah. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. isn't paid anymore, right? Right. So look, in summary, look, there are worse movies you can see. There are better movies you can see. If you saw this movie, you're going to enjoy yourself, but it's not one of those that's going to stay with you. It's, you know, I put it like top 15 of the year, but it's definitely, I mean, when you start talking about like the top five movies of the year, it's nowhere close to any of those. So don't let anyone tell you like they always do, William, whenever one of these comes out, that it's the best movie ever. All right, we're going to talk about some trailers now. I put the trailers for Trailer Takedown in the Discord on Saturdays, usually, before we record. That's so, you know, you can preview all the trailers if you want. If you want to watch them all and then we talk about them, or maybe we talk about all the trailers and then you watch them, or maybe you alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer. We talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. The Whale it stars is the return of Brendan Fraser, and he plays an obese man. Now, you may be saying to yourself, how is that a trailer, and how is that a preview? Well, there's two things I'm going to tell you that will make you understand why this is a trailer and why that's an entire movie. One, this is an A24 movie, and two... It's directed by Darren Aronofsky. Ah. Sorry, if anyone just heard me say, ah, it's because my cat just kneaded my leg with a claw 
Like, uh, <laughs> and she ran away. And she ran away. Okay, but I also could have played that off as just pain, right? Because on one hand, William, A24 and Darren Aronofsky coming together, like, why did that not happen sooner? Like, if there was a studio made, a production studio made for Darren Aronofsky, is it not A24? Yes, yes. But on the other hand, I can't think of a more painful movie that could ever possibly exist than a Darren Aronofsky A24 movie. Uh, Especially, this is literally, I feel like, the body positivity movement as a movie. Where nothing happens in this trailer. I couldn't, first of all, William, maybe you can enlighten me, because I couldn't hear some of the the voiceover at the beginning. It was very garbled. Um, But... At the end, when Brendan Fraser talks about how life is so beautiful and how great people are, I'm like, this is not realistic at all. This is supposed to be naturalism, but it's completely, it's completely a false narrative. Uh, I have a morbid curiosity to know what happens in this movie, but I know this would just be literal pain if I watched it. So I can't, like, I literally, there is no way I can ever bring myself to watch this movie. And I hope to God it doesn't get critical acclaim and popular. Like, this is A24 positioning for an Oscar. This is, like I said, Oscar bait movies or Hallmark movies for the left. This is exactly what this is. And I just hope to God I don't have to, like, hear people talk about it and keep my mouth shut. Because I don't know if I would be able to. This Even this trailer is disgusting. Tackle. Ugh, tackle. I thought, I thought this was going to be a horror movie at the beginning. And and that would have been interesting. But then nothing happened. And the trailer ended, and I was like, what did I just watch? This is horrific. And, and you're right, it's just got to be Oscar bait. Are they trying to get him best actor because he can do this fat suit thing? I don't know. They're this trying is, to get him best actor. They're trying to get Darren Aronofsky best director. This is, this is, this can't be, this can't be anything. Uh, I will tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. Christmas, Bloody Christmas, is a horror movie about an animatronic Santa that goes on a killing spree. So if you remember, uh, last month or a few weeks ago, we talked about the trailer Violent Nights starring David Harbour, which looks like a uh, you know horror comedy movie about a Santa Claus that kills people, but then he also sort of has a heart of gold. That is how you do a horror comedy. In the same way Santa's Slay with Bill Goldberg, that's how you do a horror comedy. This is not. There is nothing interesting in this. There is also no reason this had to be a Christmas movie. This could have just been like AI goes crazy and kills people. Uh, it's all very dark in the way it was shot. There's nothing memorable about the characters in this movie. Uh, this is what gives horror a bad name. Tackle. Tackle. It's just uh, this is just a uh, naturalistic version of the Futurama jokes on Christmas, where Santa is a robot and is uh, was misprogrammed and so judges everyone as naughty, and then everyone has to protect themselves. That actually works because it's funny and it's an inversion of Christmas, and it and and it works. Uh, that you telling me that work. makes this trailer worse. Yeah. Yeah, that's what this is. This is just a naturalistic version of that. So it made me want to watch Futurama instead. Tackle. Tackle. 
third trailer. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is a stop-motion retelling of the Pinocchio story on Netflix by Guillermo del Toro. And this is something I'm going to ask a question that hopefully William can answer. I don't understand the need to retell stories when you have nothing new or good to tell. Especially, especially when you have the creative mind and visual talent of Guillermo del Toro. There's, look, does this look good? Yes, this trailer looks good. There is no denying his skill. But there is nothing interesting to me about the story, which is crazy, right? Because I, you know, watched this on YouTube and the first comment that popped up, you know how on YouTube it always has one comment you can see? Somebody said, this trailer is more emotional than the whole Disney movie version. Can't wait for this work of art. I, uh, this has to be just first thoughts, people on autopilot, and they see Guillermo del Toro is talented and he won an Academy Award, so they get emotional about that. Because when there's already a story that exists and is a masterpiece, and I am willing to take a stand that the original Pinocchio is a masterpiece. I mean, when yeah. you wish upon a star... Yeah. The idea of he wants to be a real boy, what it means to be a real boy, what it means to be loved, right? What it means to be responsible, right? The whole idea of going to Fantasy Island and he's irresponsible, he's not using his mind, so he turns into a donkey, right? Literally, he turns into an ass, right? Always let your conscience be your guide. The original Pinocchio is a masterpiece, and I appreciate that Del Toro is doing his vision, but what does he have to add? Isn't he better off adapting something else or coming up with his own original work? I just I just don't have any interest in it. So this trailer doesn't do anything to persuade me otherwise. Tackle. Tackle. Uh wow. Um I'm Pinocchioed out. I don't know why I, I'm I'm more of the timing of this. Like why are we doing this now? This is the exact same story. We already have a live action Pinocchio that that was terrible, um, and it comes back to what you were saying before. The original is so good. This this is this is a tough act to, a, a tough thing to do. Um, I don't know. I don't think I want to see this. I, I think I would rather watch the original. Uh, we've gotten to the point where where other people, other filmmakers, are rebooting Disney's reboots. This is this is inception level uh, of movie making. I will tackle. Tackle. Fourth trailer. Mind Cage stars Martin Lawrence as a detective who now must solve the, find the, solve the crimes of the identity of a copycat killer of the killer he put away when he was younger called the artist. The artist kidnaps women and kills them and then arranges them uh, I can't remember the word, but he arranges them as pieces of art as, as sort of his ritual, right? We see serial killers have rituals. Uh, this played to me as sort of like a lost season of Hannibal. Like this, this feels like it would have fit in with Hannibal, the story-wise. Story-wise, the idea of there's a serial killer who's an artist and they need the the artist serial killer. They need to work with him to help figure out his identity, Right, that was literally what was going on between Will and Hannibal in the show Hannibal. I will say though that 
Martin Lawrence's acting doesn't seem great in this, and the directing isn't particularly inspired. Also, the name Mind Cage, like I don't really like that. Although I did like that at the end. I don't I don't know how much of the movie they're spoiling, but at the end of the trailer, because the killer targets women, we see that Martin Lawrence's younger female partner becomes a target of the killer, and it's sort of a race against time, I would assume, to, you know, catch the killer before she gets killed. Like that's a logical plot point to have, and it makes sense that the characters are integrated that way with the plot. But because of the, you know, the acting doesn't seem too great and the directing doesn't seem particularly inspired, although um, John Malkovich as the artist, the old serial killer, seems to have a, a pretty good performance. But this isn't something like, I think is on the level of Hannibal, although there does seem to be some quality here. So this is, to me, definitionally a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Yeah, I think I think uh I I agree with you. The the trailer it's hard to even place uh Martin Lawrence in a serious role, and maybe this is him trying to get into that, right? Um or return to that uh form. Um there's I think just to just to watch uh um um the artist uh and 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 that character, uh this might be worth a Netflix and hug. So I think I'm going to do the same. I'm going to give it a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Final trailer. John Wick Chapter 4 is the next entry in the John Wick series starring Keanu Reeves. And honestly, I don't have much idea what the fuck is going on in this trailer. Here's the deal. It looks exactly like a John Wick movie. It looks like it has the same cinematography, the same directing, the same acting. And that's to say it's all very high quality. But I am literally going to have to binge watch all three to even figure out what the fuck's going on. Because I, the, 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 the thing about the John Wick series is great character, right? John Wick's an awesome character. Keanu Reeves plays him well. Uh, the action is tremendous and you want him to succeed. But I like the, the mythology is so fucking convoluted to me that I have no idea what's going on. Does that mean I'm not going to see it? No. I loved the first three. The first one especially is tremendous. Uh, and I'm hoping they find a way to continue this. And now the question is, how are they going to end this franchise eventually in a good, positive way? So it has an overall narrative arc to it. And I'm interested to see how they continue it. Hug. Hug. Yeah, Justin, I'm with you. I didn't see the third or yeah, the third one. I haven't seen the third one. And it's been so long since I've seen the second one that I have no idea what the mythology is. What what what? What, are the, what is the point? Who is this other person? I don't know anything, but I get drawn in, man. The guns, the fighting, the uh, explosions. It's got what I want in a movie. You know, I'm going to hug this. Mm, hug. All right, William, that brings us to the end of the episode. What did we learn this trip? Uh, I learned I need to rewatch the uh, John Wick films to figure out what the heck is going on in this universe. Justin, what did you learn this week? That's a pretty good one, William. That's a pretty good one. And I would say that, but I don't want to steal it. Uh, I don't know. I just think I learned the importance of thinking about people from the perspective of they're acting on autopilot or they're acting on their first thoughts and sort of what are they unintentionally betraying or what are they unintentionally showing about what they think that they might not even realize they think. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening 
if it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking in the corner of my closet like a crazy person. I mean, it still is, but it just makes me feel a little bit less crazy that you're here listening to us. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store, pick up some merch, midside.com slash the cut, buy my book, or go to midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash locals. Toss us a few dollars. You know, Patreon's per episode, uh, locals is per month. That's how we keep the lights on. And we're going to be all heteronormative here, William. The best way to grow the show is to tell a female friend. Sorry, not sorry that we're that heteronormative. Tell a female friend. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emelzneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Never be a beta. Just never, ever do it. It is death. My dog sneezed exactly when I pressed the button. Hopefully that got on there. Oh, I heard it. I was wondering what that sound was. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Well, a lot right of pet button. interaction today on the midside. Exactly. It's a pet-heavy friend, pet-friendly show.